Welcome to The Pillars, the podcast of the 363rd ISR Wing of the United States Air Force. I'm Chaplain Jim Bridgham. And I'm Dr. Jerry Walker. On each episode of The Pillars, we find a brief resilience topic so you can practically fix any potential roadblocks you encounter and finish a better wingman, airman, and leader. So what's today's topic? Well, today we're talking about a toxic work environment, what it is and how to overcome it. And for those of you who are current Air Force leaders or future Air Force leaders, how to know when you might be in a position to change a potentially toxic work environment. I want to clarify before we go any further that we are not necessarily saying that this exists in any of your units. But I know that many of us have experienced this firsthand in the past, and we want to make sure that we're giving you the tools that you need to um, identify the issues that are contributing to this and help reverse it as well. Uh, But let's start with defining what is a toxic work environment. Yep, and the definition is someplace that's filled with criticism. There's lots of deadlines over people, and that could be products over people. So Mm -hmm. burning people out rather than appreciating the gifts that they have constant demands and constant changing expectations. So we can have a very demanding work environment that's perfectly healthy, but when the expectations change and there's no appreciation, it can turn toxic quickly. Absolutely, and that's a good point that you made. There's a distinction between a high-stress, high-ops tempo uh, sort of work environment and one that is toxic. And the biggest difference is the messaging communication that comes from those who are giving the the orders, giving the direction about the value of the people who are performing that work. So, um, for example, in a toxic work environment, a leader will be um, hypercritical, not just offering constructive feedback, but offering uh, criticism that may be unwarranted or has a a, uh, critique for pretty much every product, presentation, anything that, that comes forward from their people. And the focus is more about uh, what, what is the impact? What are the, the numbers, the products uh, that we're creating rather than a focus on the people? And so in those situations, you have people who are um, getting burnt out because they're working long hours, they're not feeling like they're appreciated, uh, and they feel powerless to change things. And there's, there, from their perspective, there's really not anything they can do to alter the circumstances they find themselves in. We talked beforehand about a story early in my career I remember coming back from a suicide notification of a family, mm-hmm. uh, telling them that their spouse had passed, and walking to my office. And I'd been under a lot of stress working long hours. And our new commander popped in, and he didn't really like chaplains very much. He was very vocal about it, and that does occur mm-hmm. from time to time. Sure. But the bottom line is he said, he's like, what do chaplains even do? And he <laughs> would ask that question a lot, but he asked it in a derogatory fashion. And I remember just coming right back and probably borderline disrespectfully, I didn't mean it this way. I said, you know, sir, I don't, I don't even know. And <laughs> because I didn't know how to respond at that point because yeah. the level of appreciation wasn't there. The mm-hmm. respect for what I delivered and to help the family wasn't there. And I understand they don't see everything, but at that point I felt really marginalized and said, Do, am I important to this organization and to this mission? And I think some of our listeners in mm. toxic work environments in the past may have had that, where they're doing a mission, no one understands it maybe in their leadership chain, at least mm-hmm. not to the degree they do, and they don't see its importance to the mission. So they kind of feel marginalized, they feel that negativity, they have changing expectations. Sure. There's no understanding of what we can bring, what each of us are bringing to the fight. Sure, so in that situation you gave, I think that was a perfect example. Uh, you didn't feel appreciated as a person, and really, you didn't feel appreciated as a, an entire AFSC. It was like the job that you did didn't matter whatsoever. And as a result of that, you felt 
really marginalized, disrespected, not valued. Mm -hmm. To be fair, too, and full disclosure, later on I did apologize for any disrespect <laughs> I did have, just so you, you know at home. But I didn't feel valued at all. And I thought, I just have spent hours and hours mm -hmm. dealing with the suicide directly, the unit, all these things that occurred. Sure. And I had explained what we do multiple times. And in that light of that situation, after you've given your all, given your best and gone above and beyond to be told, like, you don't, you don't even bring anything to the fight. You don't even matter. And people have received that message. And unfortunately, that's part of a toxic workplace. Not all of it, but that's part of it. Absolutely. And if that continues over time, unfortunately, it was just that one experience with that one person. Uh, well, <laughs> for, for the sake of argument. Yes. But but if it were to con have continued over an extended period of time, then I imagine you would have uh, reached a state of emotional exhaustion, mm -hmm. that you would have start to become burnt out, not just with the Air Force, but within your job as a chaplain. Mm -hmm. um, you st would have started to internalize that message that what you do doesn't matter. You started to believe that. And as a result, you start to lose your sense of purpose and the contribution that you actually do have uh, to the mission and to the larger Air Force. And that's where I think we see a lot of people who the first term, second term, say, I've had it. I can't do this anymore. I've got to get out. I've got to pursue something differently because this is not no longer healthy for me. And so if you find yourself in a position like this, um, or maybe if you're unwittingly contributing uh, to a situation like this, there's fortunately a lot of things that you can do um, to both mitigate those circumstances and prevent it becoming an issue in your workplace. Uh, what I'm going to teach you is a, a uh, Dr. Walkerism. It's a, uh, it's an acronym that I made up um, on my own, so you know, no source or anything like that. Um, so you know, you get what you pay for. Uh, but it's C E V, and the C stands for community. The E stands for engagement, and the V stands for vitality. If you want to remember it, um, the easy way is that we should be constantly excelling in your vocation, CEV, community, engagement, and vitality. And these are three essential components to a high-functioning organization, whether it's Air Force, civilian, even, um, I would say, in, in a family uh, aspect as well. So starting with community, what we want to do is try to build relationships. And that's not just from the top down, that's peer-to-peer, um, -peer. that's equivalent. We want to build as strong a community and establish um, a working culture as much as we can to bind people to each other. Because when we are connected with one, with one another, we feel supported. We feel like, it, well, maybe if I didn't have an impact on X, Y, and Z product today, at least I know I'm, I'm having an impact on another person. And when you, see, when you walk into a work center or into a community where everybody is connected like that, it's palpable. You can feel the connection because people are engaging with each other. They're uh, thriving off of each other. And you can see how that impacts their mood, their attitude, and really their entire work ethic. Another thing that um, goes along with community is uh, fostering an idea of collaboration. And one of the big hits these days is with these open center uh, or open concept, if you will, uh, workspaces, the whole purpose of those was to help people collaborate. Because if your you know, work peer is sitting right across the table from you, it's easy for you to talk to them. It's easy, easy to share ideas um, and to work together on different projects. And we're moving uh, slowly in that direction. But I want to emphasize the collabor collaboration piece over competition. Uh, because the opposite can occur when we're in a situation where we feel like we have to compete with everybody. When you work your 
tiny off. <laughs> mm-hmm. When you, you give your all, when you make personal sacrifices, and another person maybe does the same or goes just a bit higher than you, and they get rewarded and you don't, what does that do to your level of effort? It reduces it. Absolutely. Because you feel like you can't compete. If you're doing your best, then that's not recognized. Right. You feel like there was no point in, in having made those sacrifices or in putting forth so much effort in your contributions. Especially it's, if you're on the same team. That's right. That's and right. side by side. Absolutely. Um, and there, there's parallel topics we could go into on this, but I want to um, you know, say at least at the level under which you have control – and we're, not, we're not talking big Air Force now. We're talking about your immediate work center. Try to establish a collaborative um, uh, environment rather than one of competition. And this is all, also going to help to prevent self-isolation. Mm-hmm. A lot of times when people start to feel burnt out or feel marginalized, they will withdraw from their work community. They'll try to um, work on their own. They won't seek input from other people. Uh, they won't interact with other people, even socially at work. They'll just come in try to do their job and go home and we want to keep people from doing that as much as possible because um, not only is that a sign of, of burnout but can also be a sign of some uh, uh, serious mental health conditions as well the next component so that was community the next component is engagement we want people to feel like they're excited to come to work mm-hmm. and if you're walking into an environment where you're constantly being harassed and beaten down uh, not only are you probably dreading that work environment um, but you're you're not going to be at your best to excel within that position. So uh, give people a, a voice and give them a reason to come to work. Um, and one of the ways that I, I, I think is, it's most appropriate to do that is give them a personal stake in what they're doing. So if you have a, an airman or an NCO who's uh, really starting to shine, give them some more responsibility. Not to the, not to the point where you're going to overwhelm them, but give them something that is just slightly outside of their... Um, comfort range. That's going to challenge them. I'd also suggest linking it to the mission as Absolutely. clearly as possible. Sometimes we sit and think our jobs don't apply directly to mission impact on the battle space, but mm-hmm. we all do. If I'm doing counseling for, for a battlefield airman that gets them back to the fight, they're able to focus 100% on the mission. They're able to help the mission, whether it's saving someone or taking down a bad guy. We've directly contributed to the mission. Mm-hmm. And we all have an important role to, to accomplish it. That's absolutely correct, and sometimes we don't see it because um, we do our work, we send it off, and there's no tangible effect. Right. We don't see wh- where that product goes, where that the analytical product that you're putting out. But ultimately, if it's used by a policymaker, decision maker, mm-hmm. you might be having direct impact on the battle space, and you might have no idea. So we just have to recognize that that's what we're supporting, that's where it's going, and that helps engagement. And along those same lines, we want to make our folks feel valued. Mm-hmm. And, and two of the big ways that you can do that is through recognition of those efforts and through uh, expressing appreciate, appreciation. And we talked about this before, I believe, about how important it is for leaders to let their folks know how much they appreciate what it is that they do. First of all, to understand what they do, but also to let them know that that's appreciated. So we're not talking recognition in the terms of you know, everybody gets an award, right? Because not everybody's going to get a trophy. Uh, but let, letting them feel like what they did did make a, a tangible difference. How if, about a quick good job if you did a good job? Or, we're, and we're not saying you need to write a book or an award mm-hmm. or anything, write a large email or even a note card. Well, those are all nice and mm-hmm. great gestures. If they did a good job, tell them that they did a great job and for what specifically. Mm-hmm. So, for instance, you did a great job from, uh, preparing that five minutes to thrive, Dr. Walker. <laughs> Thank you. It really impacted me. 
Well, that is direct appreciation. And that's huge. And, and actually, I appreciate that more than if somebody just told me, good job. Because that, that's not specific. It doesn't tell me <laughs> what I did a good job on. And it sounds like it's more coming towards me as a person rather than, than you know, those things at which I worked so hard. Mm-hmm. So, so very good points. Um, however, there's not always going to be the opportunity to pat people on the back. And sometimes you do have to give them appropriate criticism. I would encourage our folks to um, not necessarily soften it, but to think about the manner in which that criticism is going to be received. So we've, we've heard of the feedback sandwich, right? That's one method um, to start with something positive, give the critique, and then end with another uh, positive or inspiring message. Um, but more than anything else, it needs to be specific, and it needs to offer areas for improvement. If we can do those two things, a lot of times people will be receptive to it because most of us all want to improve. We want to know how we can um, do things better or, or uh, expand our skill set. And if we can get that from a credible source, then uh, without it feeling like a personal beration, then uh, a lot of times it's going to be better received than like you know, some of the examples that you gave, um, making you feel bad, like, bad as a person. Correct. So that was engagement. So we talked about community, engagement, and finally, uh, the last piece, and in my view, probably one of the most important, is vitality. And this has to do with the health and well-being of our people. Um, I'm sure we've all heard uh, people first, mission always, right? Um, There's a a high-ranking officer, and I can't remember who it is, perhaps you know, who said, uh, take care of your people, and they'll take care of the mission. I don't remember the quote, no. but okay. I've heard it before. Okay, I'm, I'm, I don't remember the attribution, rather, but I've heard the quote before. I'm sure our listeners are screaming this out right now. General so-and-so. Well, it, it's really true. Our folks are very well-trained, very thoroughly and well-trained to do their jobs. And you know, as we walk about in our um, our TDYs and our site visits, um, doing desk side consultation and meeting folks and learning about their missions, I don't know about you, but I am always overwhelmingly impressed with how amazing our airmen are. I mean, some of the most intelligent, hardworking folks I've ever met. And so, you know, I firmly believe that if they are in a good headspace, if they are feeling well physically, if they're clear mentally, if they don't have any uh, nagging issues in their personal relationships or things going on at home that's diverting their attention, and if they're in a good space spiritually, they're going to be able to knock out that mission no problem. But it's when these other areas, uh, they start to stumble in some of these other areas that um, work becomes more difficult and maybe they're not capable of putting forth their best product. So as Air Force leaders, we have got to care for our people. And that's not just a, a passing cursory statement. Hey, how are you doing? Okay, good to, good to you know, hear you're doing well. You know, talk to you later. It's genuinely care about them. Know them, know their, um, you know, their spouses, their children, significant uh, events, birthdays, <laughs> things like that. Um, and then know what they're struggling with. Know ways that you might be able to, to help them or they help you. Because when we make those connections, we're making each other stronger. And it may sound like a silly thing uh, to talk about in the context of a work environment, but at the end of the day, we're all people, whether we're working or not. Yep. And not just from a leadership perspective, from a self perspective, you mm. need to do these things, making sure your spiritual health is good, your physical health, your mental health, your social health, these things that sometimes we put aside and not all at once. If you're in a place where <laughs> right. right now you're listening to this and you're learning, you're working on your, your mental strength, you're that mental pillar, the mental domain of resilience, that's great. 
but you recognize hmm, my physical domain needs some work. That doesn't mean you start a two a day workout plan tomorrow and start eating only protein shakes. <laughs> I'm saying start slowly and make mm-hmm. small goals to increase your vitality personally. Not everyone is going to do this for you. Not everyone's going to make sure you have PT time every week. Find the time for yourself. It's important. The same thing with spiritual health. Maybe it's adding mindfulness, meditation, attending church, synagogue, or mosque. Mm-hmm. Whatever your spiritual health is, adding a little bit in. It doesn't mean you become a monk today. It means that you add a small piece in, a manageable piece, to try to increase all of your personal vitality. Mm -hmm. And specifically to leaders, so that's just self-care, but going to leaders, often I've seen leaders not err on the side of not taking care of their people and checking in, but not taking care of themselves. Mm. They get into their new NCO, new senior NCO, new officer, or new commander, and they neglect themselves and their families so that they can take care of everyone else. I see that more often than not. It's everyone else before self, not just service before self, but everyone. And what happens when a leader isn't taking care of themselves well? They they don't last long. They burn out like crazy. And once you burn out, it's very hard to come back from burnout. It can be done, but it's very hard. So what I'd suggest is making sure you prioritize these, all these domains in your life. Mm-hmm. And uh, that's what leads to vitality and what allows you to have more longevity, not just in your life, but in your career. Absolutely. So in summary, if um, you're in a toxic work environment or you feel like uh, maybe your, your workspace is starting to head in that direction, just remember, constantly excelling in my vocation, community, engagement, and vitality. At your level, do what you can to try to instill those three things um, within your immediate sphere of influence. Again, we're not trying about curing the entire Air Force or the whole DOD. Focus on where you are and that which you have control, and things will expand from there. Outstanding. Well, we want to thank you for listening to The Pillars, the podcast of the 363rd ISR Wing of the United States Air Force. I'm Chaplain Jim Bridgem. And I'm Dr. Jerry Walker. Until next time, if you need need us at all, please reach out to us in the global address list. Finally, we want to thank you for what you do for our nation, and we hope you have a great day. Mm